Well, good evening, church family. Happy midweek service to you. And let me remind you that the Lord willing, we will be regathering for worship in person this weekend. And in the morning service, uh, the youth will be leading us in many aspects of the worship service, and they'll be sharing some about their recent mission trip to Alaska. It's a service that you don't want to miss. Let me also mention a few, uh, a few names in our church family that need our prayers tonight. Of course, we want to continue to pray for the Dees family and for uh, Bart's healing. Uh, there are several others I'd like to remind you of. Continue to pray for Ned Finney, who is out of state in the hospital after a very serious car accident. And so pray for Ned. Uh, also pray for Ch uh, Chuck Mobley, who's been in the hospital recently. Uh, Susan Wright is also in the hospital. And uh, Pat Connor will be having or, or did have a knee procedure. So remember uh, Pat and Mike. And also we've learned about the grandson of um, Ed and Sandra Polly. So keep the grandson, there's a health issue there. Keep him in mind as there are some tests being done. So let's pray for all of these in our church family. And then I want to invite you to take your Bibles tonight as we continue our study through the book of Galatians and find Galatians chapter 5. And tonight we're going to pick up in verse 16 and read down through verse 22. And I'm going to talk about walking in the Spirit. And this will be the first of several messages on that subject matter. I'll be reading tonight from the NIV, and then later on in the context of the message, I'll be reading some passages, some supporting passages in the New American Standard Bible. And so let's read together, beginning there in verse 16. <clears throat> Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're, you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. A very serious and solemn warning that he gives there. But he goes on in verse 22 to say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Father, we ask tonight that you would open up our minds and hearts to understand your word and to apply it in our daily lives. May we not simply be hearers of the word, but may we also be doers of the word. Lord, teach us tonight through the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for those that are watching online. I pray your blessings upon them. 
And God, we ask tonight your blessings upon these in our church family. A number of names were mentioned. You know each need. And we pray that you would touch each of these persons and their families according to your sovereign design and will. May you give them peace and comfort and healing. And may you give their doctors wisdom from above that they'll treat them in the most effective way possible. And we pray that very soon you would reunite them to their family members and their loved ones. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps some of you have heard about the cowboy coat. It's a humorous little coat. Uh, let me share some of it with you. Letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than trying to put it back in. If you're riding ahead of the herd, take a look back every now and then to make sure it's still there. If you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, try ordering around somebody else's dog. Never kick a cow chip on a hot day. There's two theories to arguing with a woman. Neither one works very well. Never slap a man who's chewing tobacco. If you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is to stop digging. Always drink upstream from the herd. Don't kick a sleeping dog. The quickest way to double your money is to fold it over and put it back in your pocket. Don't squat with your spurs on. Never miss a good chance to shut up. Don't name a cow that you plan to eat. Forgive your enemies. It messes with their minds. Good judgment comes from experience. And a lot, a lot of that comes from bad judgment. Some of those are pretty good. Now, as we come to this section in the book of Galatians, what we're going to see is the believer's code of conduct. I started to title tonight's message that, the believer's code of conduct. You know, the Christian life is described here as a walk, and it reminds us that every day we're going in a certain direction, and we're to be making progress, we're to be growing. Uh, we're either making progress in the right direction or the wrong direction, but one thing we certainly don't do is just remain still or static. This section also reminds us that at conversion, we still have two natures, the flesh nature and the spirit nature. And these two natures are at war with one another. The nature that wins is the nature that we feed. And that's a very important point to realize. Another way to look at this section is to think about profiles. You have a profile for a man in the flesh, a man who is lost, and you have a profile here for a believer. The fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be the profile of a believer. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, a profile. You know, we, we know that in law enforcement, when the police are looking for someone who has committed a very serious crime, 
a lot of times they will have a criminal psychologist develop a profile for the type of criminal that they're looking for. And the profile may say something like, we're, you know, we're looking for a single white male, probably in his mid-30s. He's a loner. He may have an above-average IQ, et cetera, et cetera. And they put together a profile. Well, that's what we're dealing with here, a profile for the believer. Now, folks, we are not talking here about the baptism of the Spirit. Do you realize that there is nowhere in the Word of God that the believer is commanded to be baptized in the Spirit? Now, stay with me here. I'm going to explain this. You know, it's pointed out in the New Testament that you cannot even be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. He's the one who convicts you of your sin and draws you to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless my Father's Spirit draws him. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 said, no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Spirit. And then Ephesians 1 tells us that at the moment of our conversion, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And so there's no command to be baptized with the Spirit. That's something God does in our lives at the moment of our conversion. But there are commands in the Scripture to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. And we see that expressed right here in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. I want you to imagine what your marriage would be like, what your job would be like, what your life would be like if every day you walked in the power of the Spirit and you bore the fruit of the Spirit. If all of a sudden you started bearing the fruit of the Spirit, Would you be a stranger in your own home? Would you be a stranger in your workplace? I hope not, because I hope as a believer, you do walk in the power of the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. Let me also point out that we're talking here about the fruit of the Spirit, singular. Paul doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. And, you know, we're not talking about some type of cafeteria serving line here where we say, you know, I'll have some of that, but I don't want any of that. You know, you can't say to your wife, honey, I'll take joy. You take patience. It's the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, you know, you could almost think of this way. It has nine different flavors but it's one fruit. Think of it as one cluster of grapes, but there are nine wonderful, fat, juicy grapes on that one cluster. You see, this is not like the gifts of the Spirit. No one has all of the gifts of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Some are a hand, some are a foot so forth and so on. Some have the gift of teaching. Some have the gift of leadership. Some have the gift of administration. Some the gift of of giving. Some the gift of showing mercy and so forth and so on. No one has all the gifts. 
God has designed the church that way so that we need each other. There's a dependence that we have upon one another. And and that's why it's such a tragedy for the church when somebody doesn't use their spiritual gift and serve the body of Christ in that location. You see, when a Christian in a church doesn't serve, that particular church family suffers. The whole church family is being robbed and cheated in a very real sense. You know, there are churches all over America today that are far weaker than they really should be. And you know why? It's because too few are serving. Too few are using their spiritual gifts for the building up and the edification of that church family. You know, I think there'd be a revival in most churches uh, and probably more resources than we would even know what to do with if Christians simply became faithful in doing their part. But again, the fruit of the Spirit is not like the gifts. You have a gift, at least one, but in having the fruit singular, it is to be seen in a ninefold way in your life. Another thing I want you to think about is that a tree bears fruit for the benefit of others. Have you ever thought about that? An apple tree doesn't eat of its own apples. It can't. It's just a tree. God has made it an apple tree to bear apples for man and beast alike to eat from. You know, fruit is a a very valuable thing. It blesses others and nourishes others and strengthens others. One final word of introduction I want to mention. Historically, there have been three ways that this passage has been looked at. And I just simply want to point out all three ways. First of all, this passage has been understood as one cluster of fruit but with nine distinct and individual aspects of that one fruit. That's what I was referring to a moment ago. A second way it's been viewed. This passage has been understood as describing one fruit, which is love, the first one mentioned, and then the other eight simply show eight different ways that love is manifested. Now, the third way this passage has been understood, and and I really like this one a lot, is that like option one, it is one cluster of nine flavors, but the flavors can be grouped together in threes. What I mean by that is there is the vertical dimension which is our relationship with God. This would be love, joy, and peace. This is what God gives the believer in their relationship to him. Then there's the horizontal dimension, which is our relationship with others. This would be patience, kindness, and goodness. And then there would be the inward dimension, which is our relationship with with ourselves, for lack of a better way to put it. This would be gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. 
So just three ways that this passage has been interpreted. Three of the main ways. Now with that said, let's get started. I would encourage you to write these points down. First of all, bearing the fruit of the Spirit comes from walking in the Spirit. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit comes from walking in the Spirit. And I've written down verses 16 and 22 out beside that. Now, let me say to you, the first thing that we need to realize is that we, we don't focus on the fruit. The command in verse 16 is not walk in the fruit. What is the command? The command is walk in the Spirit. People say, I need patience. Let me focus on patience today. Let me try to walk in patience. And then by the end of the day, they don't have any patience and they're frustrated. And so the Bible is not saying here to focus on the fruit itself. You see, we don't produce this fruit. This is not human effort that we're talking about here. The fruit of the Spirit is supernatural. It's not the fruit of human endeavor. It's the fruit of the Spirit. What we are commanded to do is to abide. Remember what Jesus said about abiding in John 15 over and over again in 11 verses, I think it is. Jesus repeatedly said, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. And let my word abide in you. He said that over and over again. What was the command he was giving? To abide. Jesus said, I'm the vine. The vine would give the nutrients, the life. He said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That's John 15, verse 5. And so the command is to abide. The command is not to abide in the fruit and concentrate on the fruit. The fruit bearing is the result of abiding in Christ. As we abide, God produces the fruit in us and through us. It's his work. But you know, you have a crucial role to play in this. Again, as Jesus said in that passage, you have to abide. Abide in Him. I like what Psalm 1 says in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. We have to abide in the Lord and abide in his word. And then he produces this fruit in us. And through us. A second point I want you to write down. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit makes you very distinct from the world. And think with me again about what Paul is saying here in verses 16 to 20 to 21. The deeds or the 
works of the flesh are spelled out here. There's 17 items listed in this passage. And folks, it is an ugly, ugly list. And you'll notice that that these could be grouped together in three divisions. You know, sexual sins, religious sins like idolatry, and then sins having to do with human relationships. And these things that Paul mentions here, the deeds of the flesh, you probably see these things being demonstrated every day in your office environment or school environment. And notice what Paul closes by saying about the works of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh. He says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. A very stern warning. I think it's intended to make us sit up and take notice. He's talking about people who practice these deeds of the flesh as a way of life. He's not talking about a Christian who might have an occasional outburst of anger and God convicts them of that and they confess it and repent of it. He's rather talking about somebody that is characterized maybe by by anger. Somebody who's characterized by selfish ambition. All of these deeds of the flesh. It's the way they live. And the scripture would say, if if you're living this way, it's an indication you've never been born again because if somebody is born again, as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, they are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. So Paul is describing somebody who might be religious. They might even go to church, but they've never been changed by the grace of God. You see, folks, fruit is visible. People say, oh, you know, we shouldn't judge others, but we can certainly be fruit inspectors. Remember what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees and Sadducees when they came to be baptized? He said in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. The scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were claiming their heritage, their bloodline, as making them right with God. And John was saying, no, that's not the way it is at all. You need to have a changed life. The outer fruit that you show will be evidence of what's in your heart, whether you're changed or not. You know, Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 7, Verses 15 to 23, he said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, 
but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." And so bearing the fruit of the flesh shows who you belong to. And bearing the fruit of the Spirit shows who you belong to. The world produces one kind of fruit. Believers in Christ are to produce another kind of fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. It's distinctive. A pear tree doesn't produce apples. I heard about a little boy who used to get out of his bedroom anytime he wanted to by climbing down an old fruit tree that stood outside of his bedroom window. Many times he would be put into timeout in his room and he would simply escape by climbing down that tree and he would run off to go play. Well, one day his father said he was going to cut down that tree because it had not uh, born any fruit for years. Well, that night, uh, that boy and his brothers went out and they got a basket full of apples. And under the cover of darkness, they climbed up into that tree and they tied fruit on all of those unproductive branches. The next morning, they waited anxiously to see what their father would say. He came and sat down at the breakfast table and said to his wife, Mary, I can't believe my eyes. That old fruit tree that's been barren for years is all of a sudden covered with apples. And then with the twinkle in his eyes, he looked at his sons and he said, that's a miracle. The boy said, why do you say that? The dad said, because it's a pear tree. An apple tree doesn't bear pears, and a pear tree doesn't bear apples. You know, people can say all day long, they can say anything with their mouth, their profession of faith. I, they can say, I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I'm saved. Hey, I had some kind of religious experience back then when I was 10 years old or whatever. Well, if they're genuinely saved then they need to produce fruit that shows that. You know, that's not to say that we all bear fruit to the same degree. And it's not to say that this isn't a growth process. You know, fruit on a tree doesn't instantly appear. It doesn't mature overnight. There's a process. There's a bloom. Then there's the bud. The, then there's the fruit that's small and green, and, and then it grows and gets larger and ripens. There's a process there. And so while bearing fruit is supernatural, it, it manifests itself in your life in the everyday world, and it is to grow and deepen. 
And that makes Christians very distinctive from the world. You know, a gracious godliness should draw people to Christ. We can't add one iota to the gospel, but we are to adorn the gospel. We're to be the type of people, for instance, you know, somebody in your company, maybe a, a supervisor, would call human resources. And, and now I know in a, in a pluralistic age that we're involved in today, they, prop, they couldn't get away with something like this. But just, just think of this with me for a moment for the sake of an analogy. What if this supervisor called up human resources and said, I've got two openings in my department and I want you to make sure that you send me two Christians to fill these vacancies because I've noticed that Christians are different. They've got a good work ethic. They don't gossip and backbite with one another. They don't stab one another in the back. They don't sow dissension. They respect leadership. They're a joy to have around. It's like the Christians that I already have in my department have lifted the entire atmosphere of the department. So human resources, please keep sending me Christians. That's how it should be. Again, I know a supervisor couldn't say that, but... As Christians, we ought to be that type of people that we adorn the gospel. A third point I want you to write down. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit begins with love. It begins with love. Verse 22, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the first thing that he mentions. You know, there's four different key words for love in the Greek language. You know, in the English language, we just use the word love. I love my home. I love my job. I love my car. I love my family. Uh, we could go on to say that, you know, we, we, we love our, our, our spouse, our children. A lot of men would say, I, I, I love sports. Uh, women might say, I love chocolate. So we just use that one word. Now, hopefully, guys, you don't speak of loving your wife and loving sports in the same way. I mean, it might be a close contest for some of you, but hopefully not too close. But you know, in the Greek language, there were different words for love. They had eros love. Now, that's a word we don't find in the Bible, but it was very much in the culture of that day. It was a fleshly type love. Uh, we might refer to it as lust the type of love that Hollywood promotes today. Then there's storge love, family affection love. That's the type of love family members might have for one another. Then there is phileo love, brotherly love. This is the type of love friends might have for one another. Then there's agape love, the self-giving, self-sacrificing type of love. It's the type of love that was mentioned in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Also, it's the word used here in Galatians 5.22. We are to love with agape love. And this agape love is to be directed toward God and others. A self-giving, self-sacrificing type of love. 
as I said, God's the object and others are the object. Let's think about God first. It involves loving God. Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 38, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Dr. Vance Havner used to say, the church has no greater need today than to fall in love with Jesus all over again. You know, this perhaps was the biggest problem at the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He he said, you've departed from me. You've taken a great fall. You don't love like you used to. Let me ask you, do you express agape love toward God? Is your love towards him a sacrificial type love? Do you you ever put yourself out in order to serve God and magnify him? Do you put God and God's interest first in your life? Whatever God commands, do you do that? If not, then you're not carrying out the fruit of the Spirit in your relationship to God with with this type of love that Paul is, is saying. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now let's also think of that love on the horizontal level between people. And here's where I'll spend the balance of our time today. The challenge of this passage is that I'm to bring the testimony of the fruit of the Spirit into every arena in my life. It's to be brought into all of my relationships. When you love God the most, you will love others the best. C.S. Lewis once said, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. That's a great statement. When brotherly love is controlled by agape love, jealousy and envy and strife are gone. When parental love is controlled by agape love, then things like child abuse or disrespect for parents is eliminated. You see, folks, love is not just emotional. Love is volitional. It's a matter of the will. Now, let me give you an illustration of this and how it's not just emotional. A young lady from India was to be married to a young man she had never met. One day she received a letter from her fiancé in which he wanted to begin a relationship and get acquainted previous to the wedding. And the young woman, however returned the letter saying that she believed that love should be developed after marriage, not before. And in explaining why she believed this, the woman said, when we are born, we cannot choose who will be our mother and father or our brothers and sisters. And yet we learn to live with them and we grow to love them. So it is to be with our husband or wife. And, you know, amazingly, in societies where this philosophy is accepted, divorce is virtually non-existent. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that we all of a sudden start that practice. But my point is, romantic love 
has little to do with a successful marriage. Hopefully it develops, it grows. But again, love doesn't begin as just simply an emotional element. It's a matter of the will. It's volitional. You know, I, love, I, I know that love is not simply a feeling because you can't command a feeling. You can't say, heart, love that enemy. The heart might call back, but I just don't feel like it. You can't command a feeling. Yet God commands husbands to love their wives. God commands us to love one another. God even commands us to love our enemies. You see, love can't be simply a feeling. It can't simply be an emotion because love is something commanded. Love is an action. Love is something you commit to doing. And the feelings are the byproduct. You know, I could, I could also illustrate this from marriage counseling. I've shared with you before how on occasion a couple will come to me and say, we just don't love each other anymore. We don't feel it anymore. And I'll say, well, tell me about a time in your life when you did feel it. And they'll go on to describe, you know, what he would do for her and what she would do for him. And, and their love just blossomed and grew. And then I'll say, well, what do you do now for one another? And they'll go on to say, well, we don't do any of that anymore. And what I'll say to them is get back to doing what you did at first. Commit to doing that. And then the feeling of love, the emotion, will come back. It will grow and develop. You know, it's not always easy. I understand that. But I think you get the picture. Feelings follow actions. Love is not just a feeling. It's a byproduct. Love is commanded in the Bible, so that makes love an action, not simply a feeling. You want to know what loving people is all about? How can you live out this first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, I want you to think with me about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13. Specifically, verses 4 through 8 of that chapter. Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You see what he's saying there? Love is patient. Love has a capacity to endure tough times and tough people. True love endures people with all of their hang-ups that they come with and all of their mess-ups. Because you know what? We have hang-ups and mess-ups also. Love is kind. That's the positive side of patience. It not only endures, but it responds with kindness. It returns kindness when the flesh might be tempted to respond with something else. Love is not jealous. Love is not displeased 
over the successes of others. Sometimes we can hate it when something good happens to somebody else, but it doesn't happen to us. We ought to be happy for others and not to be jealous. Love does not brag. You know, the Corinthians were bragging over their own abilities and gifts. They were boastful about the wrong thing. Paul says if we're going to boast about anything, it ought to be in the cross of Christ. You know, bragging is like that one-upmanship game. You know, you tell me something and I'll, I've got a story that's bigger or better or a joke that's funnier. And my story or my joke has always got to be better. You know, that's not love. That's boastful. That's arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly or rude. I've seen spouses that will choose a public setting to put uh, their loved one down. That's so unbecoming. It's not self-seeking because agape love by its very definition is giving. It's sacrificial. Love's not easily provoked. A Christian should never be one where other people feel like they've got to walk on eggshells around you, that you're about to explode at any moment. You know, a lot of people hide behind just, they're just simply in a bad mood when really they might have a spiritual issue. You know, they blow up, they're easily angered, they've got a spiritual problem. But love is not easily provoked. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You know, that's a relationship killer. You say to your spouse, I remember what, I've never forgotten what you did five years ago. And I've always had that in my mind. That, that's a relationship killer. Love bears all things. That has the idea of protecting or covering. You know, we need to protect others, cover others. I think of Noah's sons. You know, when Noah's son, one of his sons saw him drunk, and naked. He wanted to point that out to his brothers. And the other brothers covered up their father's nakedness. Folks, when the Bible says to love, that's what it's talking about. Go back and you may even want to memorize that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, verses 4 through 8. It really shows us that Love has a costly aspect to it. It, it takes effort, but it, it develops again when we're walking in the power of the Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit. And that's the key to the whole thing. When we walk in the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, let me just quickly close by giving you four lessons. Number one, the Christian life is a life of being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And so there's the aspect that God does and I must follow. I must follow Him, keep my eyes on Him, and I am to walk in the Spirit. I am crucified with Christ, and yet I am, in being crucified with Christ, I am to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And so there's this sense that God is working in you, 
and yet you're not a passive bystander. A second lesson, you and I have been chosen to go and bear fruit. You know, the Bible tells Christians that. Jesus told his disciples that, that they were to go and bear fruit. A third lesson, daily there is a battle we face between the flesh and the spirit. The Christian life is described in terms like that. It's described also as a fight or a race. It's it's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. We have to feed the spirit, walk in the spirit. And a fourth lesson is the fruit, the fruit of one's life testifies as to what is in their heart. And so what is your heart saying? As you look at the fruit of your life, is it the deeds of the flesh? Again, Paul says, if that's your way of life, the deeds of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, a stern warning. But if you're producing the fruit of the Spirit, it shows that you're walking in the Spirit. You belong to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful passage with a tremendous challenge, a challenge about how we're to face each day. Lord, that we are to abide in you. As we abide in you and walk in the Spirit, then you will live your life through us and we will produce the things in life that are pleasing to you and the things that bear witness of your work of grace in our lives. God, may this be the way that we live. And God, help us to grow in this and give us wisdom daily to crucify the flesh, to walk in the Spirit, and to keep our eyes on Jesus. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen.